don't be frightened of who you are because who you are is good enough and who you are being good enough means that your kids are going to love you. The world has never been changing more rapidly, dislocating the ways we work, learn and live. On the Learning Future podcast, we discuss the knowledge, skills and dispositions we all need for our learning future, exploring insights with world-class educators, researchers, policymakers and leaders from across industries and across the world. Hi everyone and welcome to the Learning Future podcast. I'm your host, Luca Parry. Today we're speaking with a very good friend and colleague of mine, Joanne McKechn. Jojo is an author, speaker, thought leader, and executive coach. She's the CEO and founder of The Learner First and was recently named an Edmund Hillary Fellow over in New Zealand. She's done quite an incredible array of different projects and initiatives in her career so far, being the co-founder of New Pedagogies for Deep Learning, uh, which many educators will, of course, know about. She also sits on the executive team of Karanga, uh, the Global Alliance for Social Emotional Learning and Life Skills. Uh, and I'm also very lucky to serve on that committee with her and two other colleagues. Jojo is a former teacher, a school principal, and a system leader, particularly through her work there in New Zealand. She's recently just returned to Aotearoa from uh, a, an incredible number of years in Seattle, uh, where she's continued to refocus school systems through the eyes of the least served learners trying to reimagine and support those systems to embrace and celebrate students' cultural identities and individual interests and needs. She has written many books. Uh, the most recent is entitled The Depth Fail Detectives and the Great Education Crisis, a guide to contributive learning in schools. Jojo, kia ora. It's lovely to have you on our podcast. Kia ora, Luca. It's lovely to be here. So, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. Uh, ko takitimu toku waka, ko e araki taku maunga. Ko Waimakariri tuku awa, ko Natahu tuku iwi, ko Nadimamoe Waitahu tuku hapu, ko James Leader Rawa, ko Mihi Wihikori ko Tapuna, ko Bruce McKeegan Rawa, ko Beverly McKeegan Oku Matua, ko Joanne McKeegan tuku ingoa. What I was just saying there, um, Luca, it's lovely to see you and just introducing myself, but of course when we do that in Māori, we don't start with ourselves. We always start with how we came to New Zealand or Aotearoa. And I was explaining that um, Takitimu is my canoe or my boat that we came to New Zealand on and um, that Mark Cook is my mountain and that the Waimakariri is my river and Naitahu is my iwi and Natimamoe and Waitaha are my sub-tribes uh, and James and Mary, they're my ancestors and Bruce and Beverly are my parents. And lastly, I'm, I'm Joanne McKeegan. And the reason we do that as Māori is that we always like to acknowledge that our ancestors, they are actually the land is our ancestors, they're part of who we are, and that's why we always want to take great care of it. And it helps us to acknowledge when we meet each other um, and connect with each other to sort of place each other. Mm. And when we meet each other, we don't go straight into business. We always want to say, who are we, where are we from, and have that chance to just to really connect and respect what's important and to remember why we are here and what our purpose for being is. And usually that's not business. Usually that's about humanity. And usually mm. that's about what, what's, what, what the whole point of being alive is for. So when I try to meet with people, I try to remind each other that that's, you know, there's a story of hope there. There's a story of, of humanity. And there's a story about how we can be together in, in a peaceful and a, in a beautiful way. And for me, that reminds, that reminds me that all learners, they have a right to know who they are and where they're from and then how they can then contribute to humanity. But we just have to remember who they are first and help them to do that. So it's great to be here with you. Can't wait to talk to you. It's great being able to work with you and then to do this in this in this way is just kind of a little bit of fun for me. It so is thanks very so much novel. for yeah. No, it's it's kind of nice to talk about 
everything we're exploring and not just be focused on you know the work and pursuing so the different the different projects that we that we do collaborate on yeah uh, Jojo that I, I really I, I feel that whenever we speak whenever I hear you speak uh, you really are somebody that has this authenticity and and clearly that's something that your work has focused on you know it's not just about um, the academic results of course you know far more it's about the social and the emotional capabilities of course through our work at Karanga with other colleagues around the globe um, but it's also this idea of contribution to humanity uh, and I've certainly learned a lot from you over our short friendship and colleagueship of two years so I'd love you to take us through a little bit around this idea of contribution to humanity and you know, that sounds like quite a lofty idea when we think about, you know, our young people in schools or the work we do in, in schools or, or even the work we do in organisations around how they contribute uh, and impact, you know, through the different ways that we do. But, you know, quite tangibly, what does that mean in terms of the curriculum, you know, the what um, and the how of, of some of the learning communities, the learning ecosystems, as we might call them as well? You know, what... What, what is the great education crisis and, and how might we be able to really focus on, as you say, some of the most marginalised or the mm. least served learners in, in some of our communities? I think if I just take a little step back, Luca, if you'd met me maybe 10 years ago, you wouldn't be seeing the authentic person that I present as today. I think I was pretty shy about who I really am and pretty scared to be my true self because I think that, you know, growing up in an education system that didn't teach me how to be me, is pretty, is pretty normal. Mm. And I think it takes a great deal of courage to show who you really are to the world. And I've been really lucky in the last sort of 10 years that I've had the opportunity to, to face who I am and to really become who I am and to have the courage to stand tall or in Māori we say to tutangata, mm. to, to stand tall and to be who I am. And I think that's partly why, I've, why I'm so strong in saying it this way now. And, you know, I think, you know, growing up, we get taught how to do things and to learn things and to just to, to, to be somebody that we're really not. And so I think over the last 10 years or so, I've really tried hard to actually honour my, honour my being and honour my, honour my ancestors, honour who I am, and to really allow myself to become who I am. And that, that's what I really want to model. And to me, it gives me great pleasure to hear you say that you think of me as my authentic self, because that, that's truly who I want to be and who I want to represent to the world. Mm -hmm. And I've had some pretty tough experiences that have forced me to become that. And I think I'm glad that I've had those now because that helps us to be who we are. But what I want for an education system is not to have to go through that. I want yeah. our kids to be able to be who they are and not leave their culture at the gate when they get to school, that mm. they can actually be themselves right from the very day that they are. Because I think as humans, we all want to know who we are, how we fit into the world and how we can contribute to humanity. So that's my first sort of piece of the, the contributive curriculum. It's like understanding, self-understanding. Mm. And that's the priority for learning. It's, it's nothing more or less than that. It's know yourself. Be yourself, be strong in who you are. And then second one is like sort of thinking about how do we connect? How do you connect yourself? How do you connect your family? How do you connect your community? And then how do you connect to your purpose for being? And are you able to share that with confidence around the, around the people that you connect with around the world? And are we teaching kids to connect to each other mm. and in a way that is authentic so that they're not shy to do that with each other? And then the next one is around knowledge. How do you, what knowledge do you need to be the person you need to be to be the best you can be? So instead of teaching kids every single thing, the same thing everywhere they go, because that's, I mean, that's a sign of madness to me. Because otherwise I'd be saying, you all need to wear my glasses because they're the same and we're all the same. 
And that just doesn't make any sense. Or wear the same clothes I wear, because then that would say we're all identical, and we're not. So I don't know where anywhere that we decided that it was sensible to give every child the same thing. So what knowledge does each individual person need to be that be that very big person that they want to be. And then the last outcome that I sort of talk about in the contributive curriculum is the competencies. Mm. What are those competencies that you need to unlock that knowledge and potential to learn and return to the earth, to learn and return to humanity, to keep this place a beautiful place that we have? So those are kind of the four outcomes I talk about around the around contributive curriculum. But if we're going to do that, then we have to treat our adults differently in our system too. Mm. Because if we are trying to do that, then we have to allow our teachers to remember who they are. And I talk about there's this sort of moral dissonance that's going on in, in, in teaching and, and learning and, and in our workforce at the moment that, that really isn't okay because we've been asking teachers and leaders to do things that they know and not actually giving our kids what they need and not giving our adults what they need. They've been asked to test. They've been asked to do a curriculum that may not be serving the kids in the best way that they know. And then we talk about burnout. We talk about teachers can't do it, but it's actually not that. It's actually... That they are, they're being forced to do things they know are morally wrong. So I talk about let's change that. Let's help them by giving them tools that enables them to remember themselves, remember their calling, remember what they're here for, which is to teach kids to be themselves, to teach them to be who they are, to teach them to stand tall in their identity, language and culture, because that's what it's all about. And so what I've done is I've created some modules that really help teachers to really remember themselves and to become who they truly are. So I talk about what are those capabilities that teachers need now? And those are around how do, we partner with, how do we partner with our learners? How do we sort of help them to become their best person? How do we engage them in a way that makes them feel special? Because every child has that right to feel special. How do we develop their skills from beginning to end and help them to become themselves? How do we understand and then celebrate them? Mm. And then the next one is sort of thinking about con contributive inquiry. We all talk about the inquiry cycle as though it's just like a slice of bread and we know how to do it and it's just what we do every day. But is there a purpose to that? Is it that we actually are going to improve lives by doing this, this inquiry cycle? Is there an outcome that makes a difference to somebody's life? So that when we're in that sort of in that process, that we're actually not going to make sure that it's, it's, it's just doing it for the sake of it, that we're having an outcome. And I talk about that sort of contributive inquiry as, as having an assessment angle to it that we're actually thinking that it doesn't sort of serve as a judge but a guide. Mm. That it sort of gives students a direction to go where next. And Because you know, at the moment we fit kids into an academic system and we judge them. So it shouldn't be a judge, it should be a guide. So I sort of think about that as really, really important. Then the next kind of step I talk, talk about there is around sort of collaborative moderation where we're sort of talking about if kids are doing things, how do we help? learn and teach from each other from what the artifacts they're creating not from what we're creating but the kids they're creating some really great artifacts how do we learn as teachers from each other what that looks like mm. and then how do we create that meaning and fulfillment because for me meaning and fulfillment is the new wealth and contribution is the only way to earn it and i've been quoted around the world now for saying that and i truly believe it and people say to me jojo where did you hear that or where did you learn that or who told you that and i just turn to them and i say the kids taught me that yeah Kids are teaching me that, and that's the most beautiful thing in the world because they don't want money. They don't need possessions anymore. Well, it's not quite true, but they, they don't want great big, you know, chunks and chunks. And they Solely, don't need to be billionaires. Yeah, yeah. They just want to make sure that their fellow human being is safe. Yeah. So for me, contribution is the way to earn wealth now. That's the, that's the meaning of life. So when you step outside yourself and you give to other people and you step outside your school gates and you contribute to your community, 
when you step outside your community and you contribute to your country, when you step outside your country and you contribute to your globe, that's when we start to see a real change in our way of being. And that's what contrib contribution is all about. And that's when I start to see people, energy starts to flow. And that's when we, we're starting to save our world and our planet. Jojo, it, it dawns, me, dawns on me as you, as you take us through those different elements, uh, a couple of things come to mind. Number one is that you've just asked a bunch of questions, you know, and I, I, the more that, you know, I speak with different thinkers from around the world, you know, I think the, it's a big question. I, I, one, one of the things I often say is, what's the qu big question that you're focusing on? And, you know, you've just given us a bunch of them. <laughs> and I, I, I wonder, you know, particularly around inquiry, you know, so how often are we starting with deep questions? Mm. Not just in our lessons in schools, but also our conversations at home with our children or yeah. with our friends and colleagues. Um, you know, in any setting, I think that idea of depth is certainly something that's reflected here because I, mm. I wonder about our ability to create culturally safe environments, mm. for example, with, mm. and, and as you say, focusing on the who we are and you know, how we can contribute to humanity that's that's the deepest question there is you know this isn't yeah, yeah. is this on the test and you know that's a question that kids ask all the time as well mm, mm. um is ex sorry excuse me miss will this be on the test and yeah. you know the idea of this assessment regimes and you pick up some really big trends of course that that we know have been around for a long time standardization for example versus personalization you know we create this average thing that really serves nobody because we don't mm. allow for the beautiful variation an expression mm. that is the mm. diversity across our communities and our learning communities in particular. Take us into that idea of assessment a little bit. Uh, you know, and again, assessment of learning being the kind of the judging potentially mm. and assessment mm. for learning, the idea of being the guide or the formative assessment as, mm. as Dylan, uh, Dylan William would talk, call it. So what's, what have you learned about assessment and how we change it? Well, to me, assessment is one of the biggest areas that stops us from being successful, and it, it traps us. It's, to me, um, you know, it's, it's in every piece of work I do, I really focus in on assessment, because unless we redetermine or redecide what does success look like, we're wasting our time. And I often say to people, you can spend as much time as you like in whole system change, you can spend as much time as you like working with any school or system, but unless you change what you assess, you're not going to shift the system, because to me, equity is when children can show what they know in their way. Let nice. me say that again. Equity is when children can show what they know in their way. And people say to me, what do you mean by that? And I say, think about that movie Moana. You remember that little movie Moana? And I, look, I say, I'm the little girl Moana. And I think, you know, you look up to the stars and that's how I learned to navigate because that was the way of my people. And I look to the stars and I can navigate doing that way. But if you taught me to try, and that can be my like navigation skills. Now, these days you do it with a little Google map, right? Mm -hmm. But there's a, there's, a, there's a way of doing that. But if, you, if, I, if I had to learn how to do that on a, on a piece of paper, doing a dot plot graph and trying to figure that, it would make no sense to me because there's no context for it. But if I had to do it, if you teach me how to do it that way, then I can now transfer that and put that onto a piece of paper. So there's your surface to deep. Mm -hmm. I've got different ways of doing it that way. Or if you say to me, if I'm somebody who lives in the city and I can show you, I can work out volume, I can do it by a, a particular way. But if I live in the country, why can't I show you in a silo how much grain, how many trailer loads of, of grain go into a silo? And if I can show you, tell you how many trailer loads of grain go into a silo, is that just the same as um, working out how many um, you know, length times, width times, height? 
No, which is which is better or worse? So who are we to make that decision? But if I know the answer to that, then I can learn how to transfer. So for me, it's about context versus versus about the actual academic to start with. And so often we go straight to the academic without looking at where the kid's context is. Mm. So I talk a lot about where are the children from? What's the context that they're learning in? Right. And then let's teach them and let them show us what they know first. And then we can go to that deeper level of, of getting them to sort of show it in the way that we want them to show it. But for me, assessment has been so cruel to kids. Mm. What we've done is we've said, you have to show it in the way that I know because it's the way I'm most comfortable with. And what we've figured out is we've been sort of looking at the um, sort of the standards or assessment um, criteria and things like that is that we've been really mean around not, there's little tiny rules around assessment. And what we haven't done is been showing any flexibility for kids who have different cultural understandings, different beliefs, different sets of knowledge for them to show us what they know. And we've been using formative assessment as summative. Right. We've been saying on a Friday, here's a little formative assessment for us to learn what we want to do next week, but it's actually summative. Mm. It hasn't been saying to them, okay, well, you know, to me, assessment should, the only point of assessment is to show us what we need to learn next. Yeah. It should be a guide to tell us what we're doing in our in next piece of learning. It's not, meant to be, it's not meant to be there to catch us out. It's not meant to be there to trick us. It's not meant to be there to do anything like that. It should just be telling us, what do I need to learn next and what's my next piece of learning? So for me, assessment is one of the biggest barriers to success and whose success. So when I designed, when I wrote the learning progressions for new pedagogies for deep learning, I actually didn't think they would work because I thought, how could they work across multiple countries? How could you have a set of tools that would work in each country? I, really, I, was, I was quite frightened to put them out. But once they went out and different countries used them, what I learned was that they took their own pieces of evidence to those tools and made decisions about what evidence would they need to show that those that they were at different levels of those tools. And that's when I understood that concept. And for me, that was a massive light bulb moment because that's when I realized that nobody has the right to tell you what success looks like in your country. Nobody has the right to tell you what success looks like in your school or in your, as, as a person. And, you know, I've been asked so many times, could you describe what success looks like now? And I said, no. No, I can't describe that for you. That's your decision. There are some certain factual things that, that, that are definitely, you know, we can describe. But how you describe that surely is your way. Like, mm. I, as, as, a, as a Māori woman, I might describe it in a different way than when I'm talking to a Pākehā woman. Yeah. You know, there's different ways of describing it. But who's to say I'm right or wrong? That's making a very big judgment, and it's a cultural judgment, that who has the right to do that? So I'm very, very strong in saying that now. And so, for example, in New Zealand, we have two. We have we have a curriculum in Māori, we have a curriculum in English, and they are not a direct translation. So how can you assess me in the same way? You can't. Mm. So we have to learn to be a little bit more flexible in that way of assessing children yeah. to let them show us what they know and the way they choose to do that. That's when we're starting to get equity, and that's quite hard for a lot of people to come to terms with. And they do argue with me quite a lot on that. <laughs> Uh, but I, yeah. I, I will, I will, I will argue till the cows come home on that one now because I've seen it in action and I've seen the, I've seen how fast kids can learn when they actually show what they know in their way because then they can move to the next level because we're not stopping them because they didn't show us in the way we want them to. Yeah, yeah. I think what's interesting there, Jojo, is you know it it does sound complex, um, but often we overcomplicate it, you know, and so it's perhaps sometimes it's just asking. Mm. Just starting with questions, starting with mm -hmm. curiosity and empathy mm -hmm. to, to be the starting point from which we can learn something 
about yeah. another. And so the idea of, you know, in your work across, you know, a great number of countries now, you know, the idea of searching for universals um, mm. and maybe there is, you know, the universal isn't here's what success is for everyone. Mm-hmm. It is here's what's required so that people can create their own understanding. That's right. Yeah. So that's, that's that kind of universal piece. Um, yeah. You know, so yeah, student, student agency in particular, I want you to yes. pick up on as well, right? Yeah. So, yeah, as, a, as opposed to, and, you know, as an applied linguist, um, it's one of the hats that I would wear. You know, the idea that we have to pay attention to the prepositions that we use, you know, is yes. learning being done to young people? Is it being done for them, i.e. well-intentioned but not serving mm-hmm. them? So, mm-hmm. Or is it being done with them? And even better, of course, is it being shaped by them or driven by them? And, and then, of course, here in Australia, where I am, of course, on Ghana country, uh, you know, the idea of self-determination of communities and people uh, mm. is an incredibly important part of our First Nations. Mm. Uh, but it's also an incredibly important part of any learning process. Am I able to self-determine my own learning path, mm. you know, to be able to pursue my passions? Mm. So talk, talk to us a bit, a bit more about that, that idea of how do we activate? I mean, I, one of our reflections, I'm sure we'd agree, is often young people... Uh, it's the, the largest amount of latent potential <laughs> in our schools mm-hmm. other young people themselves. Yeah. Uh, but I'm also interested in this idea, as you say, of the moral dissonance mm. that so many hardworking educators will feel mm. because they are butting up against a system that was designed for a past paradigm and functions well in that past mental model, but no longer serves the kind of complex and dynamic world in which we work. So take us through those two ideas of how do we activate the agency of the human beings, as I'm sure you would put it, mm. um, in our different learning communities so they feel connected uh, mm. to themselves and to, you know, the world. Mm. So firstly, let's, let's address the system. Let's talk about who is the system. Mm. Because I think the system is us. And, I, uh, you know, I'm doing some work with, with some districts in the States at the moment, and, and one of the questions that came up was just around this. It's like, who is the system? And, and I sort of say, well, we, we create the system ourselves. Yeah. And at the moment in particular, when, when, when schools can't be in school, um, we have an opportunity and a responsibility to, to recreate that system. And I talk a lot about the fact that the system is created by collective cognition with our minds. We've created a lot of it with our minds, and often the people who created that system no longer exist. They're no longer a part of the system. They've gone. And what they've done is they've left this concrete block that's the system that we all look at and say, we can't shift that system, we can't move that system. And so I say, well, who are they? Who is that system now? Mm. And I talk about that, that now we have to move to collective consciousness, which is actually our hearts working together. So we have to move into our heart space. So we're going from collective cognition to collective consciousness, where our hearts and our minds have to work together. And we actually have the opportunity to shift that concrete block. And I talk about, we have to become like tugboats. We have to be able to find that little spot. And you know, you think about it as a ship, an ocean liner or something, and a, a, a little tiny tugboat can turn a ship liner on, its, on, its, on itself really, really quickly if it wants to. If we find that right spot, we can do it. The same with a concrete block. If you get a little hammer and you chip it in the right spot, it just disintegrates. So that's what we're looking for, is how do we disintegrate that concrete system that's been there for a long time that actually has no, it doesn't service any longer. So let's, let's recognize that we are the system. We have the opportunity to make those changes. We can do this together if we choose to do this. What we have to do, first of all, is, read, is to define what does success look like for us now. 
and have the courage to do that because these are our babies. These are our people. This is our life. Nobody is telling us we can't do this anymore. Mm. There is nobody out there saying you can't do this, Luca. No one. Only us. It's only our own fear of change that's stopping us doing this. So for me, it's about having the courage and it's the collective courage to do this together, to really figure out what does success look like now and then how are we going to do that? So firstly, it's identifying what is that block that's stopping us, recognizing that we are the system. And I, you know, people have heard me say, and I know it sounds, sounds kind of tough, no one is coming. No one is coming. You know, it's only us. There is only us here and now that we can do this work. So we are the system. No one is coming. Let's deal with it. Let's get our collective cognition and our collective consciousness together because we are the people who can make this change together. And I'm so totally confident that we can do it because wherever I've been, I've been able to help activate people to be able to do this kind of work together because it's totally possible. So Love. that's the first part. That's yeah. the system part. Yeah, great. We'll take, a step, we'll take us into the into the level of the individual as well because I, I the the one thing i that always strikes me about you jojo is the way that you speak and and, and i wonder I, w- I actually wonder how much it's it's your maori heritage and the idea of the indigenous knowledge systems of our world have for a long time thought in very integrated and collective ways mm. and then of course when we think about some of the the other parts, uh, you know, recent civilizational developments around free markets, et cetera, it's very much around compartmentalization mm. and, you know, the, the cult of efficiency, mm. you know, which is about division and, mm. uh, you know, se- se- segregation of parts, right, to mm. increase mm. productivity, right, which is, yeah. is understandable yeah. and has gotten us some of the way. But, you know, maybe we've, we've lost this idea of connectedness. Yeah. And that's a, that's a deeply subjective individual thing as well. You know, yeah. and our work, you know, through the field of social emotional learning beyond is asking us how connected do you feel to others or to the yeah. planet, yeah. you know, if we're going to be able to limit our impact on it. Yeah. Or, yeah. And uh, so take, take us through that idea of, of the individual that sits within a system, be it a young person, uh, a, a teacher, you know, a school principal or a system leader who also wants the best, of course, for the system. Uh, and you've been a system leader, um, mm. you know, running performance in New mm. Zealand in the mm. previous role. Yeah. So, yeah, how do you reflect on that? Well, I think I, I think when I look back now, I was probably nowhere near as good of a system leader as I would be now because I was very segregated in the way I did things because I didn't understand that I could allow my allow my indigenous side to come through because I wasn't I wasn't comfortable with that because I was I was brought up in a very Western way, and um, that was be- because. In those days, you know, as a youngster, I wasn't even allowed to know I was Māori because it was wow. so, we were, you know, we were so pushed into the Western world and it was really hard for me. And I, I always knew I was Māori on my insides because it was just so much who I was. And I always had this, this conflict of, of being half Pākehā white and half Māori. So it was like, where do I sit and where do I fit in this world? So my experience growing up was I was this, I looked, I presented and looked like I was white, but inside I lived as a Māori woman and as a Māori youngster. And so therefore, I understand the conflict that a lot of children go through when they look one way and they are something else or they are forced into a particular way of being that's not actually them. So I totally understand that conflict that people have when they're in a system that doesn't suit them. And so I think that's partly why, why I spend so much time thinking about that first dimension that I talked about in, in the outcomes around self-understanding. Mm. So for me, it's about we all have to go back 
we all, every single person has to really go back to figuring out who are we again and spending some time doing that. And when I talk about self-understanding, it's about that, that's how we get rid of that, that uncomfortable um, dissonance inside ourselves. It's how we get rid of that sense of, I don't really know who I am anymore. Um, I often talk about doing wellbeing workshops and, and, and I'm at, you know, I joke about this a little bit, but I probably shouldn't. But it's like, you know, 20 to 30 year olds, they're crying at the end of the day saying, I don't know who I am. What a waste of time I've been through my education system and I don't even know myself. Mm. 30 to 40 year olds are going, hey, I, I've got, I haven't got any time anymore because I've got, I've got to look after my kids. I've got mortgages to pay. Like, I haven't got time for this garbage. You know, get out of here, get out of here. You know, 40 to 50, 40 to 50 year olds are going, yep, yep, yep. My, I'm nearly, nearly ready to talk about myself because, you know, my kids have finished. I've, I've finished paying my mortgage. I've got time for me. And then 50 to 60 year olds, yeah, I'm ready to tell my principal to get out of here because I, I can take care of myself and I can do my job now. And then 60 to 70 year olds, they're out there saying, yeah, I'm ready to deal with this, but except I have to go and have a hip replacement. So it's sort of like, you know, <laughs> when do we take time to know ourselves? Yeah. You know, so it's sort of like for me, so for me, you must take time for yourself. And like I, I've you know, recently been interviewed by different governments asking, so, so would you come and do some work with us? And, the, and my response is, well, do you know who you are? Mm. How much, how much time will you as a leader and put into this. And I won't work with people now unless they put themselves into this work. And the best leaders are the be best leaders are you. The best leaders are the person who can be yourself. And I talk about the dimensions of self-understanding as identity, understanding who we are as individuals. You know, when I was a younger leader, I used to try and be like other leaders who I admired because I thought they were so cool. Mm. And I thought they were so good. And that's actually the wrong way to be because I'm the best leader when I am me and I'm authentically me. But I didn't know that. I thought I had to be like them. And so like, what, I, what I really try and do is help people to recognize when you are you, you are amazing. There's nobody like you. You are unique. And whoever you are, you are fantastic. Every single person is fantastic. And you can contribute something to this world, no matter who you are. I've never met anyone who can't. If we let them, if we mm. let their true identity shine. The second one is place, understanding how you fit into this world. What, where do you fit? You know, if you're comfortable in your own skin, if you're comfortable in your own place, then you then you can you can stand tall and talk to anyone. You can be comfortable anywhere. You can you can connect with anybody, and you're not shy to do that. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter. And the next one is capacity, understanding your potential for for progress and success, knowing how to learn, knowing where to go, knowing your own capacity, and not being shy about saying no, or not being shy about no, that's not for me, or that is for me, or that's you know. Or not sort of feeling like you have to be the everything to everybody or, or you know, taking every single opportunity or not taking any opportunities. Mm. And then the last one is that purpose. What is your purpose? Understanding how you can contribute in your way and not that, not that sense of envy. I mean, you know, we both know Mark Brackett and, and he talks about, you know, that, that sense of envy that young people have, envy and loneliness. Because yeah. I think everyone else has got a better life than them. Well, yeah. Which is actually garbage. They don't. <laughs> but it's just social media just telling them they do. Despite what the platform, yeah, that's right. The, but the actually, different optics of that. if we teach kids to be comfortable with themselves and that, that they're beautiful inside who they are, then that's how they grow up to be a contributor into this world. But at the moment, they've got this envy, jealousy thing going on, thinking that everyone else has got a better life than them, but they don't. Mm. None of us do. And think, you know, to me, that's like the, 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 the silver lining of COVID is that we've had time to spend with our families. Yeah. We've had time just to sit back and peel back that sort of glossy stuff that's been going on that we all feel like we've got to get out there and be better than everyone else, and we don't. So it's partly just getting back to who we are. I think that's the first step of, of really coming back into to stepping back into having a world that, that actually allows us to really rejig our system 
Mm. is coming back and being honest. And when I say honest, I mean honest. And that's really hard. And people say, what do you mean I'm honest all the time? And I say, are you? Tell me, <laughs> tell me who you are. Tell me who you are really. And that's, that's, a, good that's a really, that's my, first, that's my first point in the Depth Vale Detectives book. It's, it's tell me who you are as an individual, then tell me who you are as a school. And then I say, really, at the end of it. Now, and I mean, really, really, really. Who are you really? Like, I really want to know who you are, and I really want to know what your school is. Who are you really? And what do you represent? And it's okay to be different. Mm-hmm. It's okay for your school to have a different sort of theme or feel or whatever, because you're not the next door neighbor's school. Yeah. And that's really cool that you're not. I, there's so much there to unpack further, Jojo. Um, but I love the idea of that being the first question. Mm. Is, uh, well, who are you really? Mm. Uh, and, you know, like some of your reflections then, I mean, I thought about the philosopher Alan Watts and his idea of us never making it, you know, because we're always projecting into the next thing, you know? So as you go through yeah. the decades, it's always like, yeah. oh, when I get to, when, I, when this happens, then I will be. Yeah. And of course, that's you not how life works. There's only the present moment, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but of course yeah. we're all, uh, you know, and we had a, a great conversation with, um, well, Jason Fox, who's a wonderful Australian kind of speaker mm. and thinker. And he talked about how all plans today are amusing hypotheses. Because, yep. of course, you know, you look around exactly. and the, world's, the world yeah, yeah. is where it is today. Yeah. So, so I'm very interested in that. Here's, here's my second to last question for you. Um, on, with all the different kind of experiences that you've had, the work you've done with systems, with schools, you know, across, you know, basically on every continent, um, what is something that you're still trying to solve? You know, because obviously you've come to this really powerful understanding about the way you articulate this and starting with success and, you know, your experience really in terms of designing assessments and the learning progressions through the new pedagogies for deep learning work, um, you know, with Fullen and Quinn and others. Um, and so what, what is it right now, this idea of contribution? You know, this is our current understanding. If we're having this conversation in five years, you know, in terms of the learning future, um, what's the question that you're still trying to solve for right now? Like, is it around human behavior? Is it leadership? Is it, what's, what's the question that you're, you're still asking yourself in terms of how we accelerate the right kind of change towards a more human-centered or humanity-centered approach, not just for our schools, but for all our social systems? It's around fear. Why are you frightened? What are you frightened of? That's the question. What are you frightened of? Wow. That's a great question. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. a really great mm-hmm. question. Um, are we frightened of our own power? Are we frightened of who we really are? What's really frightening you? Because mm-hmm. it's really what it boils down to. Because if we change, what do we have to change to? And are we really, what are we really frightened of? And I think that's what it comes down to. When I work with systems, it's, it comes down to if we change, what, do we, what, what does it mean for us? That's great. And, and a lot of people in school systems have been successful in that school system. Yeah. It's probably the hardest thing for us to do is, you know, as I think the saying goes, I think it's Bertrand Russell. It's, it's not so much, it's not so much coming up with the new ideas. It's letting go of the old ones. Yeah. Yeah. And because yeah. that's, I think that taps into this idea of fear, you know, how yeah. do we move yeah. from fear to joy and, and kind of yeah. think of things 
in a playful human way, yeah, yeah. which is ultimately the best contribution we make, right? Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and we've had speakers on here as well, kind of future of work strategists and, of course, yeah. automization and AI and converging yeah. exponential technologies, shifting workforce. And how do we let go yeah. of something so yeah. that we can enable yeah. something to come out? And, you know, mm-hmm. that also mm-hmm. means letting go of fear. Yeah. Jojo, last, last question for you. Um, and uh, again, it could be anything here, but uh, what, what is, what's your take-home message? So, you know, if you were to summarize your vantage point in our global learning ecosystem, What's your take-home message for educators, leaders uh, in schools and organisations, you know, and parents, people that are really that really care about the process of learning uh, and how perhaps it becomes more human? I think it's really just to take the time to understand who you are, and if you understand who you are, don't be frightened of who you are, because who you are is good enough. And who you are being good enough means that your kids are going to love you, your kids are going to be able to become who they are through the fact that you're, you're strong enough to be who you are. Jojo, this was such a delight. Thank you so much for joining us for the Learning Future podcast. Kakadiano. Thanks for listening to the Learning Future podcast. To find out more about our work, drop into thelearningfuture.com and follow us at Learning Future on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Here's to building a world of thriving learners together.